Blog Talk Radio. Hi again, attorney Steve Rogers here. Thank you for joining us. We are here today to talk about insurance subrogation. Attorney Steve, we're licensed to practice law in California and Arizona. We have a special guest here today. We are hopefully with Mr. Carl Guerreri. Are you on the line today? Mr. Carl Guerreri, are you on the line today? <laughs> Mr. Carl Guerreri, Hi, are Steve. you on the line today? I am, Steve. Can you hear me? Oh, yes. I've got you loud and clear here. Thank you for joining us. This is Carl Guerreri. He is an insurance and personal injury attorney, licensed to practice law in California and Arizona, much like myself. If you've been watching my, or should I say, listening to my show over the last few years, we, our firm is a litigation firm, licensed to practice law in California and Arizona. We handle a wide variety of business, real estate, insurance, and personal injury type cases. So we're glad to have you here today, Carl. Oh, thank you. All right. So we're talking today, as you know, uh, about insurance subrogation. And there's a lot of people I know, professional people, seasoned attorneys, law students, people that go, when you say the word insurance subrogation, they go, huh? What is insurance subrogation? Well, Steve, it's actually uh, a more common thing than than some of our listeners would think. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you a, a prototypical example of, of an insurance subrogation situation. Uh, basically, um, you know, as homeowners, uh, most of us have a homeowner's insurance policy, and let's just say, unfortunately, a uh, toaster or some other appliance uh, caused the fire and caused damage to your home, uh, and the insurance company comes in and uh, gives you a check, makes the repairs, replaces your contents, uh, gets you back up and running. And what the insurance company will do is the insurance company will uh, investigate the cause of the fire, uh, and if the insurance company determines that a third party is liable for said fire, uh, they will pursue that third party uh, for the amount of money that they paid you. Uh, subrogation is essentially an insurer uh, stepping into the, insur- the the shoes of its insured, in this case the homeowner, and going after the responsible party. Uh, there's really kind of two types of subrogation traditionally. Uh, originally, going back a couple hundred years, there's equitable subrogation, which basically just means that you know, if if someone uh, um, had a loss, they should be able to recoup the money from the true responsible party. Uh, nowadays, we don't have to rely on equitable subrogation. Most insurance policies have uh, subrogation clauses, which grants subrogation rights to the carrier as a matter of contract law. So uh, typically, you'll see in a complaint in a subrogation action, It'll say uh, that, you know, the insurance company has the rights under both equitable subrogation and contractual subrogation. Um, and, and that's basically about it. So for, so for an example, so give, run me through an example. So, so uh, let's say there's a homeowner with a, a toaster. Let's say a, a toaster uh, catches on fire and, and burns, burns down a house or a, a portion of a house. Run me through that scenario. How does that how how does that work in real life? So in real life, what would happen? Uh, you know, and, you know, it's very unfortunate, obviously, when it does. 
um, you know, a claim would be reported by the homeowner uh, to their insurance company. Uh, the insurance company will typically then send uh, a field adjuster to assess damage, um, and then depending on the insurance company, the insurance company might get subrogation counsel, such as myself, involved early. Uh, they might get some a team of experts involved early, fire investigators, electrical engineers. Uh, so really two things are going on at once at this point. They are assessing damage to replace, rebuild, repair, and they're also investigating the cause of the loss. So in the event of the toaster, you first have to determine it was the toaster and then determine if subrogation is going to be viable. Uh, can you prove that the toaster uh, was the cause of the fire, uh, or was the uh, was the damage so bad that the toaster uh, completely burnt down to nothing, and you can't make the case? So, in the in the example where you can't make the case uh, for a product defect, or say the evidence is missing, or the fire department uh, damaged it, and for whatever reason, uh, then the subrogation claim would be closed. Uh, you would continue to receive payments uh, and get your house repaired and rebuilt. Uh, in a situation where we could identify the toaster as the cause of the fire, then um, we would place that toaster manufacturer on notice um, along with whatever parties uh, that we deem appropriate. And then really, you know, some of the, the cooler things in subrogation would happen. You would have uh, testing on the toaster, x-rays, uh, you'd buy exemplars, you'd take a look at it. And you'd make your case against the manufacturer that it was their defective product uh, that caused the loss, and you would then uh, either hopefully settle the action or you'd have to file a lawsuit against the, the toaster manufacturer and recoup uh, every penny that the insured paid the homeowner. Okay, so so in that example, so say the, say the toaster explodes or catches fire, electrical problem or whatnot, and then you have, let's say, it uh, takes out your kitchen and say what, you know, maybe that's $20,000 and who knows, and damage depending on your kitchen. And so then the insurance company, you're saying, would bring in an adjuster. They would possibly bring in an expert. They would possibly bring in an insurance counsel to go in, and you're basically trying to examine to see if there's a third party that would be liable. Now, at some point, you're saying the homeowner is going to get paid, let's say it's 20000 to to, re, to uh, redo their kitchen. They're going to get that money, and then you're saying after that, the insurance company may go and try to find a third party like the toaster company, bring in an expert, and you're, you're saying basically put that toaster under examination and, and try to find out whether or not it was defective. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, correct. Yeah, the, the the payment to the homeowner is going to occur whether or not subrogation happens or not. Uh, you know, obviously, you have a homeowner has a contract uh, with the insurance company. They have the insurance in place. Uh, they're going to get their twenty thousand dollars in your hypothetical, whether or not subrogation uh, occurs or doesn't occur. Um, it's really the insurance carrier's um, uh, call whether or not to uh, pursue subrogation. So. Um, that basically you summed it up perfectly. What if, what if the homeowner says, "I don't want you to pursue subrogation. I'm just I want this closed out. I don't I really don't want any any part of this." Uh, and, and that happens in in, in, in certain situations. Um, as a matter of contract, uh, in the uh, in the insurance policy itself, 
there is an assignment of subrogation rights to the uh, insurance carrier. Uh, the insured in that situation, the homeowner, doesn't have a choice. Uh, that being said, uh, an insurance carrier is always cognizant of putting their insured in difficult situations, um, you know, especially, say, in situations where uh, maybe other family, family members were the responsible party. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you don't want your insured be put in a situation they have to testify against somebody they love. Um, and so there are certain uh, situations where an insurance carrier may not pursue subrogation because of um, a situation that they're insured is in. However, generally speaking, the insured doesn't have a choice in the matter. It's part of the agreement they made with, uh, with their carrier. Uh, there's a contractual provision. The assignment shifts to the, the assignment of subrogation shifts to the insurance company and they can pursue it without your permission. They, they own that claim as a result of paying you your money. Interesting. So what happens if the homeowner, let's say there was, hypothetically, there was a defect in the toaster, but really part of the problem was that the homeowner um, overstuffed their bread or overstuffed their bagels or something, put a Pop-Tart in there, and, and let's say they they didn't, they did something that contributed to the negligence um, of the case. Can can the insurance company come back after the homeowner and say, well, you know, I know we I know we insure you, but you were negligent here, and and we're come we're going to come back at, at you as well. Is that a possibility? Uh, that's a great question, Steve. Uh, no, it's not. You you can't subrogate against your own insured. Uh, it's against public policy. Uh, the violation the insurance policy as well. Um, you know that's why we all have insurance to cover against uh, our negligence, amongst other reasons. Um, that's why you have car insurance. Um, and so, you know, and, and and usually the example we get subrogation a lot is a person falling asleep while smoking. Um, they they obviously cause damage to themselves uh, physically and cause damage to the home. Uh, you know, and that is covered by your insurance, but you cannot subrogate against the homeowner in that situation uh, because it was their um, uh, because it was their fault, uh, their own negligence. Another example is cooking fires. Done a lot of cooking fire, grease fires. Um, in certain situations where a product manufacturer or another defendant is alleging misuse on the uh, on the insured's part. Uh, those are just legal matters that just need to be hashed out. You know, I'll give you an example. If, uh, um, you know, uh, you take a treadmill and uh, the treadmill caused a fire, but the manufacturer is alleging that the insured stuffed the power cord of the treadmill underneath it and clearly in the instructions say not to do that, uh, depending in which state you're in, uh, you just have issues of comparative fault at that point. Uh, so it just becomes like any kind of car accident case involving multiple parties. You just have to parse out fault. Um, but you, you, that goes to the probability of you winning your subro case, but in any event, you can never come back onto the insured um, uh, for, for their own negligence in causing the loss. Okay, great. So, so subrogation sounds like something that can happen in any type of insurance loss situation. In other words, any time an insurance company is paying out of pocket for damages, it sounds to me like they have a right to go back 
Um, and if there is a third party who's liable for their losses, whether it's an auto case or a worker's comp or a maritime loss into a cargo that's being shipped, you're saying any time an insurance carrier has an issue where a third party may have caused their losses, they have a right to pursue subrogation. Yes, a, a subrogation occurs uh, with uh, auto policy, home policies, business policies, uh, cargo policies. Um, it, you know, again, it, even if the contractual subrogation isn't in the insurance policy, you still always have the uh, equitable subrogation uh, that goes back hundreds of years. Well, it's interesting. I was just reading about cyber insurance where you can insure your company against losses, downtime, hacking, viruses. I, want, I wonder if that's another area where you can do insurance subrogation of like cyber insurance cases. And I know it's probably out of your realm, but uh, I, I've got, it just got me thinking about subrogation when I was reading this article. Yeah, subrogation, you know, there, there are all kinds of, of um, uh, additions, addendums to policies that cover uh, businesses, employee theft, um, uh, like you said, uh, cyber, li cyber liability policies, all those things kind of generally fall in back into your insurance coverage. Uh, the problem with some of those cases is that in a situation where uh, a company has been hacked, uh, you know, it, you always have to look at the target that you're trying to subrogate against. If it's a person doing it, um, and, you know, it, and, and this individual caused a major company's computer system to to uh, collapse and, and, and cause a bunch of lost income, uh, you're very unlikely to A, find that person, and then B, to be fortunate enough for that person to have the asset to, um, to reimburse or you know, to recover from. And then also you would, in a situation where there's been some kind of criminal violation, obviously the authorities will be uh, taking that investigation up as well. Interesting. Okay, well, take, we're going to take a quick break and come back, and I'm going to ask you more about the assets. What do you look for in assets? I mean, obviously, you, you need somebody that's not judgment-proof or somebody that, for, if you're a carrier, somebody to actually can pay for the damages. So we'll be right back on that topic. Okay. Actually, we're going to be back on that right now. One of my features on my software is not working, so we're back. Okay, so let Carl. We were talking about um, assets and in, in, in subrogation and in insurance subrogation. When a carrier is looking to see if there's a third party that's liable, and you're going after somebody, you obviously need them to have assets. Talk to me about what what do you look for? I mean, are you just looking to see if the person has uh, a pickup truck you can go after, a, a company that you can? What are you looking for? Well, uh, the, the first question is, is there insurance coverage? Uh, you know, and it, it, assets are kind of sometimes a secondary thought. Um, in subrogation, typically speaking, um, say an example where uh, an electrician causes a fire because he didn't wire something correctly, um, you, the first question you want to ask is, is that, is that electrician insured? Do they have a general liability policy? Um, obviously, um, uh, an insurance policy behind the defendant uh, is, is good for the subrogating party um, because there's something to recover from. And usually, uh, for example, in a commercial general liability policy, the limits are a million dollars. So you know you have coverage up to a million dollars. Now, in situations even though with individuals responsible for fires, water leaks, any other damage, what have you, 
um, still in with the in, with that individual, they could have a homeowner's insurance policy. Uh, you know, give you an example. Um, you're cooking on the grill and you cause some kind of fire as a result of your grilling, of the fire spreads next door to your neighbor's house, your homeowner's insurance policy is going to have a liability component. Um, and hopefully that liability component is enough to satisfy the claim. Then as far as assets go, um, typically, you know, your, your average Joe on the, on the street in today's economy just doesn't have a ton of cash lying around. Um, so, you know, usually sometimes a carrier or a legal investigator will perform an asset check on someone. But, um, you know, as we all know, we have, we have uh, car liens and mortgages and whatnot. Uh, and so it's, 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 it's very slim cases where a carrier will pursue an individual. Um, it just doesn't happen that much. Usually, um, you know, again, uh, if, if there is no insurance uh, that covering that person, uh, and, you know, unless they're sitting on a mountain of cash to satisfy uh, the claim, uh, usually that's just going to lead to a closed subrogation file um, just because the person doesn't have the assets uh, to satisfy the judgment. Okay. And so the, so the more ideal case then would be um, a manufacturer and seeing a product defect um, something where you know you you know the toaster company is going to have a, a liability policy is that is that right? Well, yeah, and, and most manufacturers are, are large enough to be self-insured, or if they have insurance at higher uh, at, at higher limits than any individual. But yes, typically, you know, a company that's still in business uh, and that's not in, not bankrupt or defunct, um, you know, that's going to be. Uh, a, a, a more likely um, target for recovery uh, than just, uh, you know, Joe Blow on the street. Okay, great. And so now let me ask you this. So, so, and I keep using the toaster example because I think it's something we can all relate to. But so say, the, say you have a strong suspicion that it's a, a toaster or the field adjuster goes out and says, you know, it looks like it's the toaster and and you, you talked about getting an expert involved. Tell me about why would you need to get an expert involved, and, and generally speaking, what type of expert are you are we talking about in a situation like that? Well, you would want. Yeah, well, fires are very complicated. First off, so when you come when you come to a scene, I've been to many fire scenes. You show up. Uh, obviously, depending on the severity of the fire, you have a lot of destruction. Um, you know, everything's charred. It's smoky. Um, and so sometimes you might be looking at the remains of a kitchen counter uh, and it looks nothing like uh, it did before the fire. Uh, it could just be a pile of debris uh, on the ground. And so that is where your fire investigator uh, comes into play. Uh, the fire investigator is going to look at the fire pattern uh, on the walls, on the ceilings. They're going to determine an area of origin. Then within that area of origin, they're going to determine a point of origin. Um, then they're going to figure out their ignition sources. Was was the toaster there? Was it plugged in? They're going to sift through the remains. They're going to look for things such as arcing. They're going to look for things, um, you know, other indicators that's going to point them into the uh, the ignition source for the fire. Um, then at that point, um, you know, depending on whether it's clear cut or, or the fire investigator is still having some trouble. Uh, you might want to get an electrical engineer. You know, electrical engineer specializes, forensic electrical engineer, I should say, uh, specializes in determining 
the uh, the causes of fires, uh, you know, related to electronic devices, wiring, whatnot. Um, so, bottom line is, uh, both of those parties are there to determine what caused the fire. Um, they're there to uh, make sure that the scene is properly documented, all the evidence is gathered, because those are all things that are going to be important down the road. Uh, in your your toaster example, to prove a uh, product defect case against a toaster manufacturer. Okay. And so how important then is it, obviously experts come in all shapes, sizes, and flavors, how important is it to have the right expert, the one that's going to help take your case home, and, and how do you go about that process? Well, it's, 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 it's very important, and really I think it just comes down to experience. Uh, and being in the subrogation business, uh, knowing the experts in the area, uh, knowing the size of loss you have, uh, knowing the knowing the challenges uh, that are facing you, any hurdles you have to to jump over. Uh, you know, give you an example. You know, you might have uh, one electrical engineer that's very good with electrical code violations with regard to wiring. You might have another electrical engineer that's very good at determining product defect, uh, more more of a, a forensic engineer versus an engineer that's good with electrical code compliance. Um, also, too, engineers uh, sometimes are more practical than others. You know, some engineers will go into a, uh, a fire and they are going to uh, want to spend a lot of money, want to spend a lot of time uh, getting you an answer what caused the fire, and more practical subrogation experts will come in and, and, and possibly identify that toaster and say, you know, with some degree of certainty, I know it's a toaster, however, this thing's 50 years old. So it's not very practical for, for me to, 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 to perform any more tests because of the age of the toaster. So, you know, depending on the situation, uh, you just have to know uh, what, what team of experts uh, to put in. You know, just like, just like in a baseball game, you know, depending on what hitter you're facing, you may want to switch out your pitcher. Well, that's that's definitely a topic I can relate to, and uh, yeah. So, so it's it's so the the job of picking the right expert is that does that fall on the shoulders of subrogation counsel, or does that fall on the shoulder of the carrier, or both? Um, both. Um, you know, in, in, in situations uh, where you know subrogation counsel, like myself, when you have some good relationships with the carriers you work with, uh, they you know give you carte blanche, they trust you. Uh, some carriers, not more a matter of trust, but they have certain people they like to use. Um, and then also it depends on at what point subrogation counsel was retained. If the carrier performed the investigation and really only retained subrogation counsel uh, when they decided to pursue the toaster manufacturer as opposed to when the fire happened without knowing it was even the toaster, um, and subrogation counsel is there actually to help figure out what happened, um, you know, so that's that's going to play in. Is at what time, at, at what point in the claim was subrogation counsel retained? So it could be both. It could be a fall on the shoulders of, of subro counsel or on the carrier. Okay. Um, and now, when we're talking about these fires, I picked a toaster, but are there? That's obviously just one way to cause a fire. What what are some of the common types of causes or, or sources of, of fire damage to, to residential or commercial property? Well, that's a great question, Steve. And, you know, my, uh, my wife has always been really paranoid about our stove, and she always checks it. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I've had about one stove fire 
uh, in my career that actually had to do with a ruptured gas line uh, rather than the stove, um, uh, the heat from the stove causing a fire. Uh, you know, the, the, although while they happen out there, uh, you know, and I don't have any numbers, uh, things that generate heat, your stove, your iron, uh, actually don't cause as many fires as people would think. Um, you know, irons have a, a shutoff feature nowadays. Uh, stoves can run for, you know, 800 degrees for eight hours. Uh, that's what they're designed to do. They're tested. Um, a lot of culprits uh, in fires and subro that I've seen are things you would never think of. Uh, a lot of power strips um, of, of varying manufacturers, varying ages. Um, something as simple even related to the power strip is when people have appliances plugged into outlets and say they push a couch up against the cord, causing a crimp in that cord. Uh, over time, electrical resistance heating will cause the uh, insulation to break down, uh, and you'll have an arc, which will lead to a fire. Um, and then uh, sometimes uh, the, the home's wiring, um, attic wiring, uh, that was put in 15 years ago with a staple over time, vibrations, the, the staple worked its way through the insulation, the metal of the staple touched the live wire, caused an arc, ignited the, um, uh, the surrounding insulation, and you have a fire. Um, so it, it's, I, I, I've done a lot of subro uh, with a wide variety of things with regard to fires. Uh, I can't say that one product is, is uh, um, uh, m more of a cause than, than others, but uh, typically it's usually the things that you least expect. Interesting. So what about uh, water damage? I know that's another big type of uh, property damage that can occur due to water. Water being, as we learned in law school, the common enemy. What, what types of water issues or flood issues uh, should, should we be aware of? You know, water leaks are actually um, kind of more predictable than, than, than fires. Uh, typically, some of the some of the water leaks I've seen are, are going to be related to your water heater. Um, you know, the water heater over time, uh, it can, it, the bottom can rust out. Uh, you have connection lines going into the top of the water heater. Uh, the fittings um, can go bad, cause a leak. The lines themselves uh, can cor corrode over time. Uh, same thing with the, um, you may notice, Steve, that Say your toilet has a, uh, a silver line that goes into the angle stop at the wall. Um, over time, uh, those those can cor corrode. They get old. They fail, um, or or they can fail due to a product defect. Um, so water supply lines uh, that connect our toilets to the house, uh, our sinks to the house, uh, those are pretty common culprits in, in colder states. And this is not something we have to worry here about in Phoenix about. Uh, you get a lot of uh, pipe freezes. Um, you know, if there's uh, a spot in the attic that wasn't properly insulated uh, and there's a, there's exposed pipe, you could have a freeze break. Uh, also, a common uh, type of water, uh, water leak is uh, due to sprinkler discharge. Um, someone hitting a sprinkler head or there being a defect with the sprinkler head causing it to discharge. So water leaks are, are kind of fall into just a couple of categories. Usually it's a water supply line, a water heater, a sprinkler, or a pipe freeze. Those, those are pretty much the most common uh, um, types of water failures that, that I've seen. Great. 
Okay, um, so that's really some helpful insight there. Let me ask you this: there, there, I've heard you use this phrase before, subro waiver. Can you can you tell me what that is? Yeah, sure. Subrogation a waiver. waiver a, a subrogation waiver is uh, found in contracts and leases. I'll give you an example: uh, you know, there's a uh, a landlord uh, in a uh, commercial tenant space. Uh, has a lease with his tenant, and inside that lease, there is a waiver of subrogation as between landlord and tenant. Um, really, the thought process behind that is that uh, both parties have insurance. Both parties, per the lease, are supposed to cover certain things with their insurance policies, and so therefore, the parties have agreed to waive subrogation and not let their insurance companies go after each other um, because the duties of each party have already been spelled out in the lease. Um, so several waivers are, are meant to insulate parties in contract uh, from, from liability to kind of maybe, I guess if you want to call it, cut down on litigation. Um, and because of the way they look at it is, is we are in this agreement with each other. Here are my duties. Here are your duties. And if, if a loss occurs, whether it's my fault or your fault, we are waving off on subrogation because there's plenty of insurance coverage to go around for everybody. Okay, great. Um, I got two questions left, really. Um, one is, what are the basically the types of damages that an insurance carrier can hope to recover in a typical in insurance subrogation case? Well, the first uh, common damage category is building. Um, obviously, whether it's a Chinese restaurant or your home, um, you're going to have in a, um, a water loss, a fire, you're going to have damage to flooring, you're going to have damage to the walls, um, cabinets, etc. cetera. Um, so building uh, typically is the most common uh, and sometimes the, 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 the largest, you know, component of your of your damages claim, um, you know, the structure itself, did the, did the walls collapse, did the roof collapse? So building's a big component of it. Uh, another uh, component is um, what they call ALE, uh, additional living expenses. Um, that can occur for individuals um, and businesses, basically, um, where it is typically a situation where uh, your house is burned to the ground, you have to stay in a hotel. You know, your, your carrier pays for you to go stay in the hotel uh, or rent the house for you while the repairs are, are, are occurring, and then therefore they, um, you know, have accumulated this rent or um, uh, some kind of, you know, uh, amount that was to, to have you relocated, and that's, that's something you can recover in subrogation as well. The additional living expenses that also cover your food. You know, if you had the fire in the kitchen with our toaster example, you can't make food. They have to order out. Um, so those would be some things that would be covered by uh, ALE. Um, and the same, same thing with a business. If, uh, if a, a restaurant burns down, uh, obviously they could show that they were losing money because they were not in business. Um, so that basically is, is kind of related to the ALE. Uh, it, it, ALE is essentially kind of maybe a disruption of your life, um, if you want to think of it like that. Uh, finally, the last category is uh, contents. So that would be your TV, your, if you were a business, your desks, 
your printers, whatnot. So those are pretty much the three main categories that, that most damages will fall into, building, uh, additional living expenses or lost income, and uh, contents, personal property. Perfect. Okay, and then last question for you. I know you're busy. You've got to get running. Um, why is it important for our insurance carrier clients to get subrogation involved, to, to take a look at these cases, to maybe give a second look, to get in and retain counsel early as opposed to waiting and, and, and taking a wait-and-see approach? Well, I think it's very important because uh, an experienced subrogation attorney is going to know what to do. So, you know, they, they are going to be able, if they get the claim early enough, they're going to be able to uh, determine, you know, what experts to, to hire, what testing is appropriate, what evidence to collect. Uh, so later down the road, um, you know, that, that you don't have to look back as a carrier and say, well, well, we didn't collect this, we didn't collect that. If you have somebody experienced running the show from the beginning, um, they're going to be able to know what experts to get in there, what evidence to collect, who to put on notice. Um, you know, so many times, uh, you know, if, if for some reason a, um, uh, the carrier is pursuing subrogation on its own, uh, they have committed themselves to a certain course of action uh, that later down the road they might regret um, because they didn't consult with an attorney, uh, they, didn't, they didn't let an attorney kind of run the investigation, uh, hire the experts or collect certain pieces of evidence. And obviously, they're going to be. Um, they, 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 there might be some consequences to that down the road. Um, another thing is, is I think it also saves money. Um, you know, in certain situations, there are legal considerations to whether or not to pursue a subrogation case. You know, for example, you know, when you're, you gave me a hypothetical where the homeowner might have caused the toaster to malfunction. Uh, obviously, you are going to need an attorney to evaluate that comparative negligence and advise the client, yes, we should pursue, no, we shouldn't. Uh, same thing if the toaster is 50 years old. Um, you're going to have to make the determination based on your knowledge of product defect law, am I going to be able to establish a product defect case? So, so I would say the two main reasons, running an efficient investigation and then determining whether the case is a go or no-go. Um, you know, in both cases, uh, it saves the carrier money uh, to get subrogation counsel involved early. Okay, perfect. And finally, I said last question. I, I always do that, and then I have one more for you because something pops up. But um, I, here's a question I get sometimes is, does, does your firm only handle the big cases, you know, the, the multi-million dollar insurance subrogation cases, uh, is that, or do you, is there a range that you look for? Uh, no, we handle subrogation cases of, of all sizes. Uh, we look to build uh, long-lasting relationships with our subro clients, uh, and so we want to serve all their needs. And, and you know, we develop uh, flexible fee schedules uh, to accommodate uh, subro cases of all sizes. Um, and, and that's what really what we're looking for is we're looking to build relationships with our uh, subrogation clients. And so, you know, in, in doing that, you need to meet your client's needs. And your client is going to have the small cases and going to have the big cases. Um, and really, when you are efficient at subrogation, uh, you should be able to attack and, and, and analyze uh, and, 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 you know, give your client a recommendation 
on a case, regardless of the dollar value, uh, you know, it, it, all the all the steps should be exactly the same. Obviously, different considerations for different size uh, cases, you know, with regard to the expenses laid out. But that aside, um, you know, if you're proficient in this, uh, it shouldn't really matter the size of the case. So, you know, so sorry that was a long-winded answer, but in some, you know, no, we uh, we we handle subro cases of all sizes. Um, and, and really our goal is to, again, build solid relationships with our carrier clients. Perfect. Okay, Carl, I know you've got a lot of litigation on your plate. I really appreciate your time and in, in in laying out some of these issues. And and if you have any further questions, if you're an insurance carrier and you say, I've got some, some issues in California or Arizona, we have offices in Phoenix, San Diego, Newport Beach, Beverly Hills, San Francisco, and we handle cases in the Southwest. So if you're Need in need of counsel, give us a call. Our number's on our website, bondrenlegal.com. That's bondrenlegal.com. Or give us a call, 877-276-5084. Ask to speak with Carl. Obviously, he's our insurance guru of the day here. So give him a call. We appreciate you listening and following us. Feel free to share this podcast on any of your social media websites. And we look forward to working with you. Thank you again, Carl. Thank you, Steve. And have a great day. Okay, we'll see you all again. Bye now. Bye-bye. This episode of Bondren Legal was copyright 2014. The foregoing was general legal information only and not legal advice. If you need specific legal advice, contact legal counsel in your area. The law office of Steve Vondren is licensed to practice law in California and Arizona. We represent clients in these two states. For more information, visit our website at vondranlaw.com. And feel free to pass this video around to your friends and share it on your social networks. Please give a link back to our website. Thank you.